Well, let, let me start by, um, by thanking Kathy. That's beautifully uh, read and actually has helped our comprehension of that passage very considerably. So thank you, Kathy, for your care um, in bringing that before us. Uh, I'm going to pray and ask that God would help us. And uh, if you can find that Ephesians 1 passage, that will be where we spend most of our, our time uh, tonight. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this chance to open your word. Uh, we pray, Lord, that we might have soft hearts, that we might have ears that are open to hear, and that your Holy Spirit might convict us and change us. Heavenly Father, help us to get a right picture of your Son, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, we're doing a series called Jesus Is, and uh, we're going to be doing this over the course of this whole term. That's, that's what we're going to be doing, looking at different answers. So we're going to be asking people, Jesus is, how would you complete this sentence? And I hope that, has anyone had a live firing exercise of this? Anyone, anyone tried this in practice? Good start. Okay, church, great. I uh, want to encourage you, good momentum, good momentum, we'll roll with that. Uh, we, what we want to do is we want to be asking people, hey, what would you say? Jesus is, how would you complete the sentence? And I would love you to be thinking about your answer. And tonight, uh, we're going to have a look at a potential answer, and then uh, I want to follow this approach. As we go through the series, I, I want us to do, firstly, I want us to walk in the shoes of the person who might have this answer, right? So I want us to think, why is this potentially a good answer? Why would they say that? Why would this make sense to someone to say, Jesus is this thing? Okay, so I want to spend time walking in their shoes. Secondly, I want to spend a little bit of time, obviously quite a bit of it, considering what the Bible actually says. So we can think to ourselves, oh, I understand what you say, but I want us to also understand what the Bible has to say on this particular topic. And then thirdly, we're going to work a bit harder at thinking, if that's true, then how should we live our lives in light of it? Does that make sense? So let's start off with the first one. We're going to walk in this worldview, and you don't know what the worldview is yet, so let me tell you that. I was listening to a podcast uh, the other day, as I want to do, and uh, on my bike, as in my garage. I'm, I'm riding my bike in my garage on my little trainer. I've got my headphones in, and I'm listening because I love having input. And so I'm listening to this podcast. It's not a Christian podcast, and they're talking about different religions from around the world. And the guy didn't say this, but I think this is where he started. Jesus is misunderstood. Jesus is misunderstood. Here's what he actually said. He said, Jesus never founded a religion. Jesus never founded a religion. In fact, we could go further than that, and we could say the church is simply a human institution. They're exactly the words that he said. Jesus never intended to found a religion, and the church is just a human institution. Implication? Jesus is misunderstood. Everybody's kind of got him a bit wrong. It wasn't what he was intending. What was our first step? Our first step is to think about why would someone want to walk in this worldview? What's appealing to thinking about the world in this way? Well, I think the first thing is to say probably you're uh, somebody who appreciates Jesus, right? In fact, it's probably not a heart. That's probably going over the top. You're probably more a thumbs-up kind of person. Jesus-like. Okay, rather than love. Jesus like. So we like Jesus. He's okay. He's kind of said some good stuff. I can't tell you what it is, but my vibe is Jesus is in the good guy category. Okay? Now, on top of that, we're not really, we're a bit fuzzy on Jesus, but thumbs up. On top of that, they have some very clear views, I think, about the church. Right? So what's the church like? 
Well, first of all, the church is uh, an institution. And what's the problem with the institution? We, we, don't, we don't like institutions to start with any, in any way, shape, or form. But the church has people like this in it, right? Big hats, long, dressy things. And in that case, they're all white males, so we, we can't like them, right? We know we, know we shouldn't like them, okay? Uh, on top of that, Religion, if you really think about religion, religion is kind of something that's good for you. Keep it to yourself, right? I don't mind what you believe. Jesus, okay, but keep whatever you think about Jesus to yourself, right? Religion is a quite personal thing, okay? Thirdly, I think they look at the church with all its dressing upness and whatever, and they go, the church is rich and powerful, and because of that, it's a dangerous thing in the world. All that money, that's dangerous. And if you add on to that the fact that the church has had a terrible reputation recently with how it is looked after the least, you can imagine it's quite possible to go, Jesus is okay, but whatever the mess of the modern church is, it cannot be what Jesus intended. It's a source of sadness. Now, that has some appeal, doesn't it? We can, we can resonate with that. And, and what if, if nothing else, as we go through this series, I really hope you get Jesus better. But I hope we have a heart of understanding. So the first thing we don't do is jump on people and go, that's rubbish. We need to correct your wrong idea of who Jesus is. I want us to listen. I want us to think. And I want us to feel what does it look like to walk in these shoes. And if we think about that, I would say there's something there. I can get something about that. So that's the first part. We want to walk in their shoes. Jesus is misunderstood. I want us to do the second thing now. I want us to consider what does the Bible have to say? And because what we're talking about here is Jesus never intended to found the church. The church is just a human institution. We need to work hard on two things. We need to think about who Jesus is and who the church is. So we're doing two things tonight, okay? Who Jesus is and who the church is. So that's what we're going to try and do. Okay, well, the first thing to get right is... Who is Jesus' church? What on earth is he talking about when he's talking about the church? Have a listen to this. If if you've got that Ephesians 1 open, have a look with me at verses uh, 1 to 2. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now here's Paul, one of the early Christians, writing a letter to a church. And the address isn't, Central Avenue, Oran Park, corner Marcus Lone Way, and and a letter's dropped at the door of our building. That's not what it says here. It says, to God's holy people in Ephesus. It's really, really important that we understand that in the scriptures, the building is not the church. The building is not the church. Something else is the church. Have a look at with it again here in 1 Peter. In 1 Peter 2, it says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. See, what's, what's the church? The church is never the building. And what's the difficulty with that? Well, that's the word that we describe the building in English, isn't it? Right? So what is this? Meeting house for the saints of God. It's going to catch on, isn't it? That's No, and so the problem is, right, we, we have this thing where we use this word to designate a building like this in English, okay? So that makes sense. The problem is, 
our ability to say that building is called a church robs us of the beauty of what's in the scriptures, which is the church is God's people. Yeah? The church is God's people. And so I want you to see that it's people, not buildings, that are on God's agenda. In fact, I just found this um, before in 1 Corinthians 16. It says this, uh, The churches in the, Asians of, in the province of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla greet you warmly in the Lord, and so does the church that meets in their house. Do you see what this looks like? It's not the church at their house or the church, but, but it's the church that meets in their house. The church that meets in their house is the people. So it's really important that we start off that we're talking about a church tonight that is people, not buildings. However, English trips us up. Second thing I wanted you to know is that Jesus is the head of the church. In Colossians, we see it like this in chapter 1, verse 17 to 20. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. See, who's Jesus? Well, Jesus is the head of the church. He's the head of the body, the church. Jesus is the head. Now, that doesn't sound very controversial, does it? But again, what trips us up? When you come here, I'm the lead pastor, apparently. I cook very well. You see, that's the... Sad. Don't make good, don't, good jokes. Either. Now, here's the thing. So it's possible when you walk into a church, you think, well, who's the head of the church? Am I the head of the church? The answer to that is... I'll come and be with conviction. The answer to that is... Okay, who's the head of the church? Jesus, Jesus is, before the creation of the world, appointed to be the ruler over the church, his body. Who's the head? Jesus and not people. That is so profoundly important. Jesus is the head of his church. Jesus, not people, is the true head of the church. So when you're looking for who's in charge of this mess, what's the answer? Jesus, great. Who's in charge of this glorious thing that will last into all eternity? Great, good answer. That's a much better one, isn't it? So Jesus is the head. How did he become the head of the church? Well, it was planned. In fact, it says in 1 Corinthians, uh, sorry, in Ephesians chapter 1, let's have a look at uh, verses 4 to 7 there. In love, in love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which is freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. See, how did Jesus win the church to himself? It was here, wasn't it? Well, not in our church, but it was on the cross. It was through his blood that we're redeemed and won to him. How did he make a people? He made a people through his death on the cross. That is how he became the head of the church. He won us to himself. And when did the idea of the church pop into his head? Can you see that, that word at the top, the dangerous word, the scary word, the one that people who've been in church for a long time fear? What's that word? Predestined. Okay, that's, that's the scary word, isn't it? What does it mean? He chose us before the beginning of the world to be his church. So if someone was to, say, to tell you, did human beings make up the church? You would be able to say, probably not. They're a little bit late to the party because Jesus predestined the people to be in the church before the creation of the world. How amazing is that? 
Whose idea is the church? Well, if he predestined us from before creation, it's his idea, isn't it? How wonderful, how glorious. All we are doing is instituting a plan that was in place before there was any plans. Jesus wins us through the cross, through the cross at great cost. The next thing is to see that Jesus' church is eternal. It's going to last forever. Uh, in Revelation, that wonderful reading that Kathy brought us, we see Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness. How good is this? Just listen to how awesome Jesus is. Jesus, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from among the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us, has freed us from our sins by his blood, and made us to be what? A kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. See, who's going to be praising and bringing glory to God forever? Who's going to be doing that? The church. The church is going to be bringing praise and glory and honor to God forever and ever. Amen. So it was, the church is an idea that was founded before the world began. It's a church that will last after this world is destroyed and into eternity. The church isn't a Johnny-come-lately idea. It's the glorious plan of God, and you have a role in it. What's your job? To be priests, to bring praise and honor and glory to God forever. Everyone is appointed to serve. Now, I don't know whether we'll serve with drums, piano, whether I get a lyre or a harp, keep me away from them, I'm thinking. But you are equipped to serve and praise God forever. What a glorious thing he has done. Jesus' church has leadership. See, one of the things, this is really interesting. I was chatting with some guys after the morning service, and I was saying, isn't it interesting that as a group of people, we often think that the most godly way to approach leading things is to say, there's no leaders here. We're all peers. Okay, we're all equals. In fact, I'll step down from the front to prove it. So here we are. We're all equals. Okay, no elevation of anyone. The best, most godly thing to have is a totally flat structure with no one in charge, right? We'll vote on everything, and it'll be so godly and holy. Until you try and work out how to vote, and then you have a fight about that. And anyway, so here's the thing. I want you to see that Jesus' church has leadership. And it has leadership right from the start. Have a look in, uh, in Matthew 16, this verse up on the screen here. Jesus is talking to Peter. Now, we, we've heard of Peter before. Have a listen to what he says. I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Here's something really interesting. If someone would say to you, Jesus didn't found the church, and we read that verse out, what would we be able to say? Surely this is Jesus founding the church, isn't it? You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my... Yeah, that's a, that's a bit of a downer for that approach, isn't it, really? Because here's Jesus saying, I'm starting the church, and I'm founding it on you, Peter. You are the man who's going to be the foundation for my church. That's pretty remarkable, isn't it? The church has leadership, and in fact, it's not just Peter. A little bit later on in the story, we see, uh, let's say in Luke 6, uh, we see this. Jesus prays overnight. He's got a big crowd of disciples with him. He prays overnight and says, When morning came, he called his disciples to him, and he chose 12 of them whom he designated apostles. That's really interesting, isn't it? It wasn't just the 12 who were hanging out with Jesus. It was actually a big crowd of disciples. And from among them, he chose 12 and designated them to be apostles. Can you see that? So... It wasn't just everybody's a flat amorphous group. He said, Peter, you're the leader. And then he lifted up 12 and said, you guys are going to be apostles. Now, it didn't make them 
more wonderful than everyone else, but he did give them leadership and responsibility. Can you see that? And this is Jesus. This isn't a human thing being imposed later. This is Jesus setting the church up with leadership. And so, in God's church, some are chosen for leadership. And Jesus' church has organization. So you might think, all right, great. The apostles, that was just in the first century, right? They live, they die. Once they're gone, let's go back to this nice flat structure. But the church that he starts has structure and order in it. It was he, it says in Ephesians 4, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors, some to be teachers, to do what? To prepare God's people for works of service so the body of Christ may be built up. And it goes on to say, may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith. Has that happened yet? Have we all reached unity in the faith? Not yet. So it must be an ongoing thing. So he has installed into his church organization and order, leadership and organization. They are not human things that we made up later. They're part of his plan. Can you see that? That's good to remember. So church leadership is service. The job of leaders is to equip you to serve. Next, we see that Jesus' church is multinational. I love this. Uh, In Ephesians 1, have a look at uh, Ephesians 1. In verse 11, it says this, In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works at everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Okay, all right, mouthful, and predestination is in there again. Who's the we? What's Paul's religion before he becomes a Christian? He's a Jew. Thank you, Darren. So he says, in order that we, who were the first to believe in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. He says, Jews first. Then, have a look at what he says next. It's amazing. In that that yellow writing up there. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Who's the you also? That's the church in Ephesus. What was their background? They were Greeks. They were Romans. They were pagans. You are included with the Jews in the wonderful plan of God. The church of God is going to be a multinational church, and it's marked with one Holy Spirit and founded on one gospel. The inclusion of people in God's church is worldwide, and it's by faith in the good news of Jesus. Jesus' church has a mission. Now, remember uh, the picture of Revelation. We didn't read this tonight. But you remember the picture in Revelation, which has got the throne of Jesus, and then it says people from every tribe, language, nation, and tongue are around the Do people know this? Some nodding going on. This is an incredible scene. It says at the end of time, around the throne of Jesus will be people from every language, every tribe, every tongue, every nationality. Now that encourages me. Bring it on. It's going to be amazing. But here's the thing. How is that going to happen? How is that going to happen? Well, wonderfully, Jesus' church has a mission. Or as somebody said, Jesus' mission has a church. Nice. The way that the mission will happen is through the church. Here's what we see in uh, Matthew 28. And you guys know these words, don't you? Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus' last words are to say, go to the nations. But he doesn't just kick us out and says, go do this job. He says, I'm going to empower you for the job. And so we see in Acts 1.8, it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on me and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem at home, in Judea, a little bit further away, and in Samaria, cross-culture, and then to the ends of the earth, Oran Park. 
I'm going to send my Holy Spirit to enable you to take this word out to every home. To every home. Therefore, the mission must be global if that's the result that we're expecting to see. Lastly, Jesus' church has a glorious future. Isn't it good? I, I, I love knowing this, right? So our, our church has a glorious future. I'm excited about it. I can't wait until we don't need to put some of these chairs sideways because we can just fill this whole building up and then some of you will be complaining, someone's sitting in my seat. And that'll be spectacular and I want you to be a little bit awkward at that point and then graciously sit somewhere else. Try the other side of the church, see what life is like on the other side, you know, get really radical. I, I think there is a glorious future for our church here, but that, that's not what we're talking about. Something far more profound than whatever's going to happen in this building here because this building isn't God's church, is it? And so in Revelation 21, we see this beautiful picture. This is the end of the revelation that, that Kathy started to read for us. John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. See, in Ephesians, the church is called the bride of Christ and Jesus is called its groom. And here it is at the end of time, he looks up and John says, I see the bride coming to the groom. It's an absolutely incredible picture of where our church is heading. We're going to be with the Lord forever. But you need to know that because every now and again, it doesn't look as spectacular as it could. Uh, this was last week. Does anyone catch up with this news story? In Shangji province in China, this church was destroyed by the government of China. Now, I got it wrong this morning. I said it was a mega church. I said it had 5,000 people meeting in it. I looked up this afternoon, checked it out. It has 50,000 people meeting in it. 50,000 people who name Jesus as their Lord meet in this building. And the Chinese government finds that so threatening, they are destroying this church building. It is being dynamited and then broken up by power machinery. Right? Now, is that a defeat for the church of God? It's lost what? A building. I tell you what's even more powerful. Here's the incredible thing. 50,000 people meet there, naming Jesus as their Lord and Savior, and you break their building down, what's going to happen? They're going to scatter everywhere. What's going to happen? That fire, if you destroy my building, if you're so afraid as a communist government of what I do by naming Jesus as my Lord and Savior, then when you scatter me out into the world, what is going to happen? Something extraordinary. Your friends and neighbors are going to go, you're part of that crazy building down there got destroyed. Why do you believe that? Why is the government so afraid of what you believe? Are you ready to change the world, church? Because there it is, isn't it? You can destroy our building. You can destroy our building and it will not stop us. Please, Lord, don't do it anytime soon. I like our building. It's great. I love it. It's fantastic, right? But don't, don't destroy the church. It's not going to happen. Communist governments, brutal governments, the Roman government, all through history has tried to stamp out the church. And what happens? The church of God, which is eternal, which is won at great cost by the Lord Jesus, will prosper, will grow, will prevail. And so you have joined a church, know this, the church, the church of Jesus will last. Just let you know a little secret, you're on the winning side. Even as it gets absolutely messy as here in Australia, overseas in China, in Syria, in the Middle East, you are on the winning side 
This church will not be defeated. It was purposed before the beginning of the world and it will last into all eternity. Praise God. So, Jesus is what? Well, I want to tell you tonight, Jesus is the head of the church. How glorious. How glorious. But I said there was going to be a third thing. What's the third thing that we're going to have to do? We have to think about what we do with that if that's true. What should we do if that is true? Uh, I'm sorry tonight, I'm, I'm, I'm introducing some new concepts. Bear with me. I want to say to you there's three ways to think about what we should do with this piece of information. First one is to say it's impossible. What can we no longer do if this is true? I want to think about the possible application. What is hard but possible? If that's true, what's hard but possible? What could we do with that piece of information? And thirdly, I want to think about what's necessary. What must we do if we believe that that's true? So let me start with the first one. I want to tell you tonight that it is, if you've understood that, if the Spirit of God has shown that to you, it is impossible to say, I love Jesus and I hate the church. It is impossible to say, I love Jesus and I hate the church. And so I want to encourage you tonight that we must turn away from putting down Jesus' bride. Yep. He died for her. He loves her. We must turn away from putting down Jesus' bride. It's impossible to say that you love Jesus and you hate the church. Secondly, the possible application. What could we do? We resonated at the start, didn't we? We resonated at the start with the person that says, this isn't what Jesus intended. I think when we look at the church, the church is broken. And many of you tonight will have stories and scars from hurt that you have picked up in the church. You will know what it is to have been wronged by people in the church. You will have seen the church fall short of the glorious standard we just saw for it. But I want to tell you tonight, the church didn't hurt you. Individuals in the church hurt you. And if they did, we have something hard to do. We need to begin the journey with Jesus on the path to forgiveness. If you've been deeply wounded by the church tonight, in whatever capacity I can say as a, as a leader here tonight, I want to say I'm sorry. I'm sorry that people might have misrepresented Jesus to you. I'm sorry if they were unworthy bearers of the name of Jesus. But you can't be angry at the church. You might be wounded by individuals, and I want to invite you tonight, it's possible that you might need to work through forgiveness for those wrongs. The second possible application is for us to work to reform the visible church. There is a church we can see. We've got an Anglican church. It has a synod Find that in the Bible. Uh, it has an archbishop. It has all sorts of regions. And you can see we've got a parish council here, all sorts of stuff. Do you know what? If you reckon our church, the church that you're a part of, the visible church that you can see needs reforming, get on board. Engage with the church. It's worth it. And if we're falling short of God's holy standard, let's do better. So I want to encourage you. We can acknowledge that hurt and pain are part of this world and we should work to change it to be more and more like the one that Jesus intended. What's the necessary application? What must we do if we heard this tonight? First of all, we've got to worship the head of the church, don't we? He's awesome. We want to worship the head of the church. We want to pray for the leaders of the church. We're just ordinary humans. At least I'm very ordinary. 
I'd, I'd, I'd value your prayers as we seek to lead the church. We want to serve within the body of his church. So you have a role to play. Find your place in the body of Christ. And fourthly, we must engage in the mission to see new life come to every home. Commitment, not cynicism, is what Jesus is after. Yeah? Commitment, not cynicism. That's, that's a word to some of us who are growing old and crusty. Yeah? Some of us who are young and cynical, possibly. I just want to say to you, commitment is the answer, not cynicism. Step in and engage with this beautiful bride of Christ. Jesus is the head of the church. We're going to have a look at a whole bunch of other answers over the course of this next term. And if you remember, uh, they're all laid out for you. We're going to have a plan. You can download that in your newsletter and just see what's coming up so you know what's going on. I want to finish with this before it's question and answer time. Get your brains ready for question and answer time. Uh, imagine you're going to the wedding. I, I, I don't mind weddings, but I'm probably a little bit over them these days. But imagine it's a, it's a really good friend of yours, right? Good friend, good friend. He's a great mate of yours, great mate. You love him and, and you go, mate, I'm so pleased to be here with you. I love you, man. We've been through so much together. I care about you. I, I, I love you, man. But I hate your wife. It's not going to work, is it? We want to say that we love Jesus, but we despise his church. It won't work. It's a disgrace. We need to discover again the beauty of the bride of Christ. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Who is Jesus? Jesus, gloriously and wonderfully. He's the head of the church. How about I pray? Heavenly Father, thank you for what you have done. Thank you that your plan was before eternity began, that you will see it into eternity future. And Father, that you won her at great cost on the cross. Father, I pray now that you would build your church here and around the world so that we might join a crowd of people around your throne, praising and honoring you for all eternity. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Uh, Q&A. So, Jesus Church, or anything else you want to ask me about in the course of this series, basically what we want to do with our Q&A time is to be able to say, you might have heard somebody say an answer to Jesus is over the course of the week, and you've got a question, or you might think about the sermon immediately, but I'd love to give you a chance uh, to ask some questions. So have we got some questions arising from what we said tonight? Yes. Lovely. Go, Janet. Um, so people who would call themselves a Christian but might say that they don't need to be part of a traditional church to still be a Christian, what would you say to that? I'd say I had exactly that question first up this morning. Because <laughs> what's the thing? Right? What, I think this is a real question, right? Godly people burnt by the church, who say, I can't be in the church anymore. It's just, it's carnage. I want to extract myself from the church and hang out with some sane, normal people like me who love Jesus and I don't have to do all the messy stuff, right? The problem with that is I reckon that's incredibly selfish. Bear with me, bear with me. I know of 
three instances where people have done this, personally people I know in, in, in life. And, and what they did basically was they decided, well, church is rubbish, but we are the holy few. We are the holy ones. And so what we're going to do, uh, this group of young families, the guys were um, in their early 30s, and their wives and kids, they said, we're, we're pulling out. They're in three different churches. They said, we're pulling out. We're going to start this holy group of the really cool, awesome, super Christians, right? And so they started meeting together, and that was tremendously encouraging. Awesome growth was happening. People were serving. And you know what happened over time? You know, when you've got the holy standard, People fall short of that standard. And then what do we do? Well, we need to have awesome church discipline. So what we're going to do? We're going to start kicking out the heathen. So all of a sudden, the group starts getting whittled down. And there starts to be fractions and disappointments and frustrations in it. And then somebody has a cold and misses something. And then someone gets some new kids. And there isn't a kids program because, you know, it's meeting in a house of the holy. And, and so now, and now I've got teenagers. What do I do with my teenage? And so, well, our family can't come any longer. Here's what happened. Everyone goes back to normal churches. Why? Because your holy club can't baptize, can't bury, and can't marry. It sits under no authority to keep it from heresy, and it is simply navel-gazing in the name of an easy cakewalk through life. And I would say to you, come and do Christianity with God's family. It'll be messy, it'll be hard, and it'll be glorious. You see, when we sit with people who aren't like us, it says that we are giving witness to the powers and authorities in the heavenly realms that God is doing something special here. He's combining people who won't naturally hang out. So when we do our holiness club, we all look the same. We're the best, nicest people that we can find. And when I hang out with you guys, you're my beautiful church family. And we bear witness to the world to say something is bringing us together, something that is beautiful, timeless, and eternal. And that is why we do church together. Now, that's a long answer, Janet. I got a little bit fired up along the way. But here's, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. I think in the end, it's selfish. It, it's, it's make it easy for me and make everyone like me and awesome. And I don't think that's what the church is for. I think it's for bearing with one another and bearing witness to, to Jesus. And the more different we are, the more we give honour and praise to our great Saviour. Rant over, I think. Hold the rant. Uh, has someone got another question? Dare want to have another question after that? Add to that? Yeah, go. Sorry. I think the other thing is that um, I think God is relational. And so I think trying to do it on your own is just not God's plan as well. So he wants to be in relationship with you. And I think he wants you to be in relationship with others. And so he talks about in the Bible, I think, about being a family and a body and different parts working together. And so I think that idea of just doing it on your own is just crazy. It's actually not part of God's plan. So... I think you need to read what's also in the scriptures and say, you might think that, but actually this is what God says in the Bible about meeting together with other people. It's actually a good thing. We, we do stuff it up and we're not good at it sometimes, but it, there's actually benefit and value and joy and blessing in it as well. That's great. And in fact, I just remembered another illustration. Awesome. Um, thanks, Carrie. That's really, really helpful. Here's another one. Um, uh, a couple came to see a minister and they said, look, we're thinking of leaving uh, because you know, the church is just no good. And the guy, they had a fire burning, and uh, the guy reached in with um, a pair of tongs and pulled some embers out of the, the fire. You know embers? Yeah. The guy in little bits? Pulls an ember out of the fire and just sits it in the saucer in the middle of the table. And they just watch it.
Two minutes later, what colour is the ember? Black. Black. Says the message has been preached. See you Sunday. Why do we hang out together? Because if you're awesome, there will come a day when you're not. Yeah? There really will. We confess regularly in church to prove that to you. But there's... So here's the thing, when you're on fire, there will come a day when you are the one who has fallen down. And I want brothers and sisters around me who can keep me burning for Jesus. Don't be on your own. Come get in the fire and something, you know. Yeah, I, I think that's, that's, the, that's the answer. Yeah, question over here. Jacinta. Yes. Um, I've had discussions with friends um, who share this viewpoint that we've shown this week where, like, oh, Jesus is all right, I guess what he said is fine, but just the people of the church have just, like, from what they've seen on the media, blah, 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 the people have just done so many things that I don't want any part of it. That basically that's... So how would you kind of explain that? Yeah, I'd say, have you ever been part of an assemblage of people who have never let you down? Have you ever been part of any organisation that's never had anyone fall short of the standards of that organisation? Do you know any assemblage of humanity that doesn't fall short of its ideals? That's the church. Do you know anything that was planned before the creation of time to last into all eternity? Anything that has the saviour at its heart? Anything that has redemption for those who fall short? I don't know anything like that. So when we stuff it up, you know, they, they say the church is full of hypocrites. And I say, there's plenty of room, come join us. Because there is no one who lives to a standard that, that is flawless. And I weep when the church stuffs up. It's, it's a horror when we see the stuff that's on the news. And all I'd say, in scouts, in sports, in musical theatre, in every endeavour of humanity, what's the common thread? Human beings... What's the great hope we have only found in the church is Jesus Christ. And so all I'd say to the people who say, I look at the mess of the world and I go, I couldn't possibly be part of the church. I'd say, come check it out. You'd find we're different than you think. And you'd find redemption for hypocrites like you. Question, Kathy. Yeah, please. I just want to add one thing to that. Yeah, go At the current time, there is a real negativity about the history of the church If you start looking at what Christians have done in Mm. the name of the church, they have done far more good than they have bad. And we need, as a people of God, to also claim our good history. We have allowed the media to only present our bad history, and that's awful history, I know. But we still have, by far, a greater good history. And we need to remind people that, you know what? God's people have done some magnificent things through history that live and breathe and have consequences that are superb Hmm. for our society. Amen, Kathy. That's so helpful. When we don't know our history, we suffer so badly. Uh, There are glorious things. The abolition of slavery being a perfect example um, where, where that's part of our history and it flows directly from our faith right alongside the things that make us cringe like the crusades but they're not the only things and all we hear about these crusades and not the other um there's one more question over here michael and then we're going to finish thanks ethan i think is that is that you mate or you're putting a hand up for you're waving to me you're
putting Agnes. <laughs> I'm going to sit down, Michael, because that's a good moment. Um, thank you, everyone, uh, for your contributions. Uh, Jesus is awesome, isn't he? Um, and uh, I'm going to let Michael finish the service up. Thanks, mate.